You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast, proud member of the Block M Podcast Network, brought to you by Fans First Sports. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with Matt Hartwell, as always, on this beautiful Victory Monday. We spent Victory Sunday flying back from Ann Arbor. You can probably hear it in my voice, Matt. I, I got the nasally congestion and half-lost voice of the Ohio State game. I was, you know, I know you were there. I was there. We were in the crowd. Things were crazy. But uh, let me get your initial reaction. Michigan 30. Ohio State 24, the good guys prevail for the third year in a row. Michigan three-peats against the Buckeyes. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic, buddy. At the end of the game, you know, I didn't care if it was 42-27, 45-23. We could have won by one, you know what I mean? I was just happy to get out of there with the W. Um, there was a time, you know, when, uh, when we gave the ball back and, uh, and Ohio state had just one more opportunity to try to make something of, uh, of winning the game where I was sweating a little bit, you know, kind of some, some bad, uh, <laughs> some bad memories in the back of my mind, kind of, uh, nagging at me a little bit, but, you know, we pulled it out and overall, uh, dominant showing, I thought. Obviously, the score wasn't uh, as dominant as it was in the past couple recent years, but I thought player for player, like role for role, I thought the Wolverines did a good job of, once again, being a little bit more physical than the Ohio State Buckeyes this year. So I was uh, I was super happy with the game. You know, like uh, like I said, I was a little bit scared towards the end but it was never one of those games that you were really in doubt about mike so uh other than that i thought it was a a hugely enjoyable game uh what are your thoughts my friend man i understand exactly what you mean uh, when you explain kind of the dynamic of the dominance because it really wasn't a dominant performance or runaway victory like the last two years but It did have a little bit of a different vibe that even though it wasn't so dominant, it felt like the game control was there a little bit more than previous years. That you know, it it took some late scores for Michigan to pull away in 2021 and 2022. But this year, after that Will Johnson interception that kind of led things off, there were a few punts to start the game. You know, Ohio State and Michigan were both feeling things out. Everybody was, it was kind of like a boxing match, you know, when boxers come out and you're, you're kind of waiting for that first strike. And then uh, Michigan made that first strike. Will Johnson undercut a Marvin Harrison Jr. route, uh, which led to a prototypical Blake Corum touchdown, right? Inside the one, uh, Sharon Moore goes for it on fourth down. Michigan goes up seven to nothing. And then there were some sketchy moments. There were some close calls, but The game was never really in doubt. It felt like, I mean, Michigan never trailed. Michigan really hung on to the lead. They felt like they were in control. Um, And then in the fourth quarter, we we had that long, sustained drive that is so uh, 
typical of a Jim Harbaugh and now Sharon Moore coached team that the boa constrictor started to get a little tighter. I, I think Michigan took, took over with about eight minutes left, uh, up by three. And you started to get the feeling like Ohio State might not get this ball back. You know, they, they took it all the way down to about a minute. And then what I would consider Sharon Moore's only bad call of the game, which it, it's not even fair to throw this on him. It wasn't really that bad of a call, but um, I thought Sharon Moore pitched a perfect game. I, th- I thought his play calling was stupendous throughout the whole game. But it, I, I think it was third and six. Michigan had the ball uh, about, you know, uh, it was that weird moment where Ohio State didn't take the timeout at the end. And then Ryan Day hung on to the timeout to take after third down. And basically, we were at a point where if we pick up that third and six, the game's over. You, we don't even have to worry about Kyle McCord and Cade Stover and Marvin Harrison Jr. We pick up that third and six and the game's over. Well, Sharon Moore kept it on the ground with Blake Corum. Uh, it was an easily defensible play, and I think I know what he was doing. He was basically saying, let's not turn the ball over. Perhaps Blake's going to pick this up. That's, that's a fair assumption, right? Blake could pick up that third and six. Um, but more importantly, let's make Ryan Day use that last timeout. And so I understand what Sharon Moore was doing there, but if that were me, that's the one play where I'd say, hey, we got J.J. McCarthy. This is the year of J.J. McCarthy, third and six. One play to win the game. Let's roll this guy outside the pocket, give him a couple passing options, and if nothing's there, let him run for the first down. That's what I would have done. But what do I know? I'm just some idiot on a podcast while Sharon Moore's out here winning games. Um, but man, what a just, spectacle. Uh, if I may, Mike, it was just, I mean, you know, this was a good Ohio State team is what I took away from it, but you know, and you could kind of see that they've built a lot of what they have going on there in Columbus after kind of what Michigan's been putting to them for the last couple of years. You know, uh, they they try they've tried really hard to kind of get a run identity going and um, and be defensively tough, what have you and all that. But, you know, you really kind of looked at these two teams and said, like, OK, Michigan's like a little bit bigger, you know, they're a little bit more talented position by position. You kind of looked at these two teams and on Saturday's matchup, I thought that that showed, right? Michigan constantly just had a little bit of an edge throughout the entire game, uh, had a slight lead the entire game to what we already said. The game was never really in doubt and Michigan just kind of subtly controlled this thing from beginning to end. and. I think that uh, that while it wasn't a, a dominant, you know, showing 20 point victory, uh, I think Michigan once again had their way with the Buckeyes, uh, the way that they've <laughs> become so accustomed to doing the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, other than that last last couple minutes of uncertainty, just for sheer uh, fear of, you know, something crazy happening. I really wasn't too stressed out the entire game. And, you know, you take away those, uh, you know, I, you'd love, you like how uh, Ohio State fans love to do that, right? You take away those long touchdown drives at the end of last year's game. And this game was very similar to that one. And uh, towards the end, you know, you could really see 
that field start to get smaller for the Buckeyes as they got closer and closer to the end zone, you know, had a little bit more hope. You could kind of see that Wolverine defensive line kind of sinking their their claws in, you know. Yeah. You could kind of see those safeties and uh, and that secondary dropping down a little bit. And sure enough, Jalen Harrell, man, gets to uh, gets to Kyle McCord, creates a lot of pressure along with Mason Graham, who they were holding the shit out of, by the way. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on McCord. He gets rid of it quick, and it's like poetry, man. Rod Moore steps in, gets under that interception, and you could just kind of see it all playing out, the toughness of this team how they just knew that a play needed to be made in order to put this thing away. And and it just kind of happened, you know? So it was a beautiful thing to witness. Beautiful W in the big house. Uh, it, it's I'm just on cloud nine after that one, buddy. And it was genuinely a good game, too. You know, it was number two versus number three. Probably the most anticipated football game of the college football season. Definitely the the most important regular season game of this year. And it lived up to the hype. I mean, both teams showed up ready to play and it was a it was a genuinely entertaining game. And we've referenced a couple plays and a couple players and we're going to get into all that. We you already know we're going to do some player of the game awards and maybe something a little special about some players and some plays, but before we talk about all the good stuff, there was one Big, glaring, negative thing that happened in this game. And of course, I'm talking about in the second half, all-American caliber offensive lineman, our right guard, Zach Zinter goes down, and immediately you knew it was not good. Uh, JJ and the rest of the, you know, a couple other players on offense were waving to the bench to, to bring the trainers out immediately. Normally that happens when you can visibly see an appendage that's like misshapen, you know, they had that kind of look about like, oh my God, get out here fast. And of course it ended up uh, Zach Zinter. He broke his leg in, in, in multiple places, broken tibia, broke, broken fibia. Um, he was carted off the field. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Zinter is Michigan's best offensive lineman. Um, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that Michigan's offensive line is their best position group. And so you're missing the best guy off the best position group for the rest of the game. Uh, and now the rest of the season, prayers to Zach Zinter, prayers to his family, prayers to his brothers on the team who we know are affected by this. And Matt, I don't know what angle you had. We were, we were sitting in different locations of the game. I couldn't see his leg. I couldn't see what was going on. I just knew it was bad. Were, were you able to see like what was going on at the time? No, Mike. And uh, honestly, I had no idea who it even was until uh, the announcer came on the loudspeaker and and kind of let the stadium know that Zach Center was the player that was receiving attention in that moment. Uh, but just like you, I saw a lot of the players, you know, a uh, big guy was down on the ground, a lot of the players signaling to the bench to get somebody out there as soon as as soon as humanly possible. So, you know, it just wasn't good. Uh, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium, uh, probably the quietest that I've ever heard it yeah. in that stadium. Um, and uh, and credit to, you know, Ohio State fans and Ohio State players, I think, that 
they were very concerned about, you know, uh, the status of Zack Zinner. So really cool to see all of that kind of stuff, rivalry aside. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, it was a hurtful experience for everybody in Michigan Stadium. You know, I was shedding a few tears, I think. Uh, I think everybody was a little bit shooken up about it. And, you know, luckily Zinter received uh, attention quick, got surgery quick, and he's going to heal up, uh, according to uh, Jim Harbaugh and the rest of the coaching staff. It sounds like he's going to heal up just fine and and everything's going to be good. But, yeah, you know, you just hate to see that, especially for one of your best players, uh, team captains, you know what I mean? And uh, and just a side note, man, big shout out to Trente Jones, fucking Buckeye killer uh, for the second year in a row. I know Trente made a big impact uh, last year uh, as an added lineman, you know, in the run game. And uh, he did the same thing, made a huge impact in this year's game coming in. I think they moved Barnhart over to guard in place of yeah. Zinter and then moved Trente out to right tackle. And he came in, actually per PFF, scored, I think, the second highest on the team. So uh, he was just great in place of the injured Zach Zinner. But, you know, you hate to see that. And uh, prayers to him and his family, and hopefully that that he gets back on his feet and get to planning for his uh, future as a great offensive lineman. Yeah, and these guys showed toughness across the board in, in every position. And so that brings up a question. There's been some uh, questions about Ohio State's toughness in recent years. I know Michigan fans have been calling them soft. I know Ryan Day was ready to fight Lou Holtz over some comments about how tough Ohio State is. And it seems like they're just trying to prove that they're tough over and over and over again, which is Usually not what a tough person or a tough team has to do. You don't go out there and have to prove it or, or say that you're tough. Um, let's go ahead and, and rank them on a, a toughness scale. You know, let's just, I just want to get an opinion here. So we can go ahead and say 1 to 10. I think 1 to 10 is a good, good little scale. So 1 being the least amount of toughness, 10 being Kimbo Slice super tough. I mean, where, where does Ohio State, fall on the toughness scale well mike for me they're falling way down there with like the beanie babies and like the soft plushy blankets that my wife likes to spend <laughs> an inordinate amount of money on around this time of year uh <laughs> roman wilson alluded to it in the post game uh they're dancing i want to say alluded to it in the pregame. This is not a tough football team, Mike. Uh, I think just pound for pound, I think that this was just not a team that was going to come away with a win in Ann Arbor this past weekend. Uh, I, I'm putting them like around like a three, maybe a four, uh, just for the added improvements on defense. But I think that they are just so finesse on offense, you know, that they, they've been getting picked apart. Um, and like the, the tape and stuff like that, people recycling clips, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, neglecting to throw a block out here, this person uh, missing contact there. So they've just been getting picked apart and I'm not going to spare any expense on it. I think this is a soft football team, buddy. 
well, you know, you're being kinder than I'm going to be here because I'm going to put him right at a two. I'm going to a two for toughness. And the only reason they're not a one is because they did show some toughness. There was that third quarter drive where they were between the tackles. They marched it down the field. There were a couple passes in there, but in there, but it was mostly domination on the ground. I'll be honest, that was not a good sign. I was like, oh shit. Like that's typically what Michigan does in the third quarter. You come out and uh pound it between the tackles, take control of the game. When they did that, I was like, wow, this team's really trying to change their identity within this game. They're trying to change the dynamic. And they successfully They were trying to be Michigan. They were right. trying to be Michigan a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You could feel it. You could feel you you know that that's what even Ryan Day before the game started, they asked him, you know, what do you want to do? And he's like, you know, win the rushing battle and win the turnover battle. Well, ultimately he didn't do either of those things, but you could tell that was the focus. Even with a player like Marvin Harrison Jr. on their team, they wanted to win that ground game. And so I'm gonna give them a two for toughness for, you know, it's like an A for effort. You know, it's a two, a two for toughness that you tried, two for trying. Um, but not very tough. All right, let's hand out some player of the game awards. And of course, we call that this guy right here and this guy right here. This guy right here. Um, let's each hand out, I guess, one because we're going to talk about some other guys. We can hand out a couple. Actually, this is Ohio State. We can throw honorable mentions out there. But Matt, who is your this guy right here? Are you going to let me tee it off with the obvious? Well, to me, there's no obvious answer here because I got like a handful of guys. But but who who do you think is the most deserving? I'm going to give it to uh, to Blake Corum. I should say Michael Jordan for the way that he just took over that game against Ohio State on Saturday. Mike, uh, you know, the the guy was just imposing his will upon the Buckeyes. He uh, broke loose for that that touchdown run right after Zach Zinner went down. You know, there was just nothing that set that. I mean, that's a career defining play right there from Blake Corum to do that in that situation after one of the best players on your team goes down in a rivalry game, the biggest rivalry in college sports shouts out Zach Zinner's number. You know what I mean? And that's just a small clip on the day that Blake Corum had. So I've got to give it uh, as cliche as it is. I've got to give my player of the game to Blake Corum. He's just been a menace the last, the last few weeks. You know, you've got the poster on the wall. He has just taken this last three games of the season, put it right on his back. And, uh, and you know, he's hungry. So Blake Corum talk to this guy right here, this guy right here and this guy right here so deserving and and so like just gratifying as a Michigan man to watch him finally get his shot against Ohio State. You could tell this really meant something to him. You know, he, he showed more emotion than he normally does in that game, especially after Zinter went down. He was injured uh, two years ago. He was in and he actually made a play two years ago, but he, he was on that bum ankle. And then last year he was he was out, out of the game, couldn't even go. Um, what's that? Yeah, some some dad. But also, just the genius of that play call. While we're talking about yeah. that uh, touchdown run by Blake Corum, Sharon Moore knew Ryan Day was going to be putting pressure on that area 
uh, to the right where Zinter just went down. Sure enough, yeah. they bring pressure to the right. Corum cuts out to the left. Gone. I just, I loved every bit of it, man. Just chills down my spine. Blake Corum, well, this fucking guy right here. This guy right here, man. And here's the thing. Uh, Carson Barnhart ha- really had to hold, hold up on that right side because Corum actually jump cut to the left. And if Trente and Carson don't hold hold the line there i think i think quorum gets tackled anyway and so to see the line just hold up right after this big void of zach zinter i i leaned over to my wife at the game and i was like oh well let's see let's see if quorum has any running room now you know like with with zinter going down this could be a problem and she just like she's like have faith or said something optimistic or something and then boom 22 yard touchdown blake quorum i mean it was so nice to see him get his due I tell you what, I'm going to take it to the sideline for this game, for my this guy right here. I'm going to give it to our guy. You and me were just going back and forth on social media about this guy a little bit. I'm going to give it to Jesse Minter. To me, and everybody's talking about Sharon Moore, and and I am equally as impressed with Sharon Moore. And so I, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. What Sharon Moore has done is unbelievable his play calling in this game his leadership his ability to do multiple things from that interim head coaching position was fantastic but Jesse Minter in his very young coaching career now has the number one scoring defense in the country and when the game was on the line and we needed to stop probably one of the best offensive college football players in the last decade it was on the defense. And Jesse Minter, uh, you know, give it to Rod Moore, give it to whoever you want, but I'm giving it all to Jesse Minter because this defense did exactly what they needed to do. Jalen Harrell brought the pressure up the middle. Rod Moore got the pick. Not to mention Will Johnson got the pick to get it started. Um, th- this defense came ready to play, and they got him off the field just enough to win this game. So Jesse Minter... You are my. This guy right here, and this guy right here. And a not misplaced this guy right here on your end, Mike. Despite the fact that, you know, the Wolverines gave up one of the most points that they've given up in any contest this season, per PFF, this actually grades out to be one of the better defensive showings for the Wolverines, especially in that secondary, man. You know, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. went to work a little bit uh, prior to to um, Will Johnson, you know, getting injured. I think he racked up like 80 yards on Will Johnson or something like that prior to uh, to Johnson going out. But, you know, all things considered for how many times Ohio State tried to throw the ball, you know, they were trying everything. They tried to get the uh, the passing game going. They tried to get the running game going. And. Uh, through their 30 plus pass attempts, uh, you know, the Michigan pass defense squandered very little. So, uh, and just the defense in general squandered very little. So, you know, it was a, a great defensive showing for Jesse Minter. And we got to talk a little bit about Mikey Sandra still, man. Uh, so, Will Johnson, he was mysteriously absent in the second half. And I picked up on it right away because I was very tuned into the Will Johnson, Marvin Harrison Jr. situation, that matchup, I knew how crucial that was. I think a lot of people were, were looking at that. Um, 
well, all of a sudden I was like, okay, he's not on the field. That's weird. Maybe he's getting a breather. Maybe this is like a rotational kind of situation. And then a few more plays went by and I was like, okay, something's wrong. You know, I, I'm sure the people that were watching the TV broadcast got some updates, but when you're in the stadium, you, you're just trying to piece together what's going on. So I found him on the sideline and I saw that he had his helmet off <clears throat> and I was just like, okay, so Will Johnson's out. That's a problem. You know, like that, that's a pretty key piece when you're going up against Marvin Harrison Jr. Perhaps, you know, outside of J.J. McCarthy, you could say he's the most important player in this entire game. And he goes to the sideline and who slides out on Marvin Harrison Jr.? Mike Sainer still. And did he give up a couple plays? Yeah. But did he play great defense and give us exactly what we, what he, we needed from him? Absolutely. And I'm going to hang on. Uh, you know, we got our sheesh coming up. Actually, screw it. Let, let's roll into sheesh and then we'll do our, our game Hall of Fame players. I'm going to roll into it since I'm already talking about it. When Mike Sanders still came up and he waxed Travion Henderson, I was like, <laughs> sheesh. I mean, he put him on his ass. And then Quentin Johnson came out and blew up that wide receiver. And I was like, sheesh. We were putting those Buckeyes on their asses and it was beautiful, man. So Mike Sanders still, Quentin Johnson in the secondary, putting those guys on their backs. And now, honestly, the Quentin Johnson play was even bigger because it, it prevented a long reception on that final drive, which was just so pivotal. And for a guy like Quentin Johnson, who nobody was really talking about heading into this year to, to come in and make a big play, you know, in the biggest game, on the biggest stage, props to, to Quentin Johnson for stepping up and doing that. Straight hero ball from my guy, Quentin Johnson, just diving through the air. Uh, he was going to catch that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, he all but caught that football. Quentin Johnson just comes in like a wrecking ball, just rams into his side and just jars the whole play loose. You know, I, uh, I was just so happy for him in that moment, getting to make that play. And I'm just so glad you referenced it along with your initial sheesh so uh otherwise i was probably gonna have to do it but no my sheesh this week mike i've been waiting for it i've been waiting for it my guy alex orgy we let's let go alex orgy cook let's go sheesh man you've been you've been waiting for this one I've been waiting for it. Let me tell you, we, my wife and I, we were getting snacks, right? So, like, we're trying to scarf our snacks down before going back to our seats. And uh, we can hear the games getting started. So we hurry through the corridor. You know, we're about to to uh, start walking down the stairs. I get out there. I see number 10 under center. I lose my shit. And nobody yeah. around me could understand <laughs> What was happening in that moment? But man, I just tell you, I was so excited to see Alex Orgy back there. And, you know, all this talk, it's so hilarious. All this talk throughout the season, you know, like, oh, they're saving this. They're saving that. They legitimately saved Alex Orgy <laughs> the length of the entire season until it was time to play Ohio State. And they they just let the man cook on a couple of uh of good runs and uh, I was so happy to see it his one extra long run 
definitely had me saying sheesh, buddy. It was absolutely insane. Like, what are we even doing? What are we talking about here? Uh, we put in who appears to be the fourth string quarterback. At least that's what he was like looking like in the early in the year. We we gave him some garbage time minutes. We we thought maybe he would be a weapon this year, and it really did appear like exactly what you said. It was they they were just like, oh, we think this little wildcat run is gonna work, and then they. They just don't even do it all year and save it for the game. So what had me saying sheesh on top of this, we're going to keep, keep it going here, the play calling of Sharon Moore. You got the Alex Orgy play call, which I don't know if we give Harbaugh credit for that or Sharon Moore. I don't know. Sharon Moore was there. He did it at the right time, so he gets credit. Three for three on fourth downs, including that little out route to Colston Loveland when just at the right time, when everybody thought it was going to Blake Corum one more time, uh, a passing play on fourth and one. Then you got the Donovan Edwards halfback pass to Colston Loveland. Let's go, man. Uh, Sharon Moore. I lost my shit. I lost I mean, my shit at that moment. It was truly one of the best play calling performances I've ever seen by any coach ever. And it was our interim head coach. It was, you know, essentially an assistant coach. Sharon Moore had me saying, Sheesh. Yeah, this was just a coaching masterclass by a, a guy that's only coached a few football games. You know, yeah. he paced this one perfectly. Yeah. Didn't unload the clip like in the first half. You could tell that Michigan had specific plays and packages that they'd been saving for just the right time. And I feel like he chose the perfect opportunities to use those uh, particular plays and packages. And and the the halfback pass with uh, Donovan Edwards, oh my God, I, I lost my mind. Brought back Khalil Mulling vibes from a year ago. And then, uh, I mean, you just had the the usual... Michigan trickery sprinkled a little bit in throughout there. So, you know, it was everything that you could ask for in uh, in a great football game. And uh, when you get rewarded with things like that, you look to your head, your acting head coach who gifted you with such a thing. Sharon Moore, yeah. you had us all saying sheesh. Absolutely. And I've got one more before we move on from this segment. We've seen JJ make some pretty impressive throws this season. And in Ohio State, we saw him make a few more. But that touchdown pass to Roman Wilson, when you look at the window that he had to fit that in and the way he Darn. had to read, he had to read that. I think it was the safety underneath, number 25. Maybe he was a linebacker. But anyway, the guy that was playing underneath coverage, as soon as he turned his head and JJ just squeezed it right in that window, I was like, sheesh, because that was a special special throw and he had a few of them in this game so props to JJ man he he really was on the money in this one yeah just threaded that needle right to Roman Wilson uh right in between one defender and over the head of another like it was just perfectly placed uh met him right there in the end zone right at the goal line which ended up being perfect because mm -hmm. you know he obviously uh bobbles it after he uh after he makes contact with the ground, you know, a little bit, and then the defender ends up with it after the fact. But 
you know, just that's credit to JJ's ball placement, you know, finding him right there on the goal line and uh, and securing that touchdown for us. So it's just everything that uh, that you wanted, buddy. Man, I was sitting in that end zone and I saw uh, Denzel Burke take that ball away. And I, I was a little nervous <laughs> about that one. I didn't know which way they were going to call it. I think they got the call right. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but I mean, he had possession. I think when you're crossing the goal line, it's a little different because when you're crossing the goal line, as soon as you know, as soon as you it's get like across, so if you thin have, of a margin for error, if you have any possession, then it's a touchdown. And I think it was a touchdown. I think his knee hit before uh, Denzel Burke got the ball away. So anyway, just one more thing for Buckeyes to bitch about. That's fine. We'll let him do it. Um, let's get to what we're calling the game. Hall of Fame. I, I love this. So uh, this will be our first class. We're going we're gonna to induct a class into the game Hall of Fame. And so this isn't necessarily based on one performance, although I guess it could be. But this, I think the, the essence of this is more, these are guys that have showed up. Uh, it, it, this is a career award, right? And so we're not going to induct Tim Biakabatuka and Charles Woodson, like those guys missed it. This is a new thing. We're going to start with, um, you know, the current players and, and have a class. Uh, what, what, what did we say? Five guys? We're going to get five guys in? Five guys that uh, both of us Big House Bleachers boys have to agree upon. There will be no uh, going back and forth with our own individualized lists or anything. Mike and I are going to agree on this. 100%. All right. Well, let me throw my first nominee out there. Let's get all of our nominees out before we decide for certain who's going to be. That sounds in. good. But I agree with that. I, I've been thinking about this guy so much, and we haven't brought his name up yet. And to me, this is a the game Hall of Fame player through and through. I'm going with Cornelius Johnson. Cornelius Johnson. I, I mean, this wasn't the biggest performance this year for him, but man, his catches were clutch. And then, of course, we all know what he did last year. And then people might even forget he had a pretty good game the year before, too. So Cornelius Johnson, uh, to me, is an excellent candidate to get into this Hall of Fame class. Well, you know my appreciation that I already have for Cornelius, Mike. He's also very high up on my list. And again, like you already alluded to, not in particular just because of his performance this past Saturday, even though he had a couple crucial grabs, including one that JJ threw across his body that was going nowhere near Cornelius. And uh, and he just reached out there, reeled that thing in. I think it yeah. was, I can't remember. I think it was like third, third down or maybe even fourth down. When it happened, I'll have to go back and watch. But I just know it was a big catch that needed to get made, and he made it. But even regardless of that, you know, last year uh, had crazy numbers, uh, including a couple touchdowns, and then also another great catch the year before that in 2021. So I'm right there with you, buddy. I'm giving my first nomination to Cornelius. I'm a roll it was right a, in. By the way, let me let me just I'm going to jump in there. It was like a second and long. And that catch that you were referencing, it made it third and one, which we ended up picking up. And so it was, gotcha. it was like 
it was pivotal to keep that drive alive. But it teed it, up I, a third and manageable that was pivotal. I got yeah, it. It, just a pivotal play. Um, excellent job by Cornelius Johnson. Heck yeah, heck yeah, buddy. Uh, and I'm just gonna get the rest of the obvious out of the way right here. He made a name for himself in this most recent rivalry matchup. Before that, you know, we we had a little bit of sprinkles of him, uh, mainly in 2021, not so much last year. So we were still hungering for that big rivalry moment out of him. We've already talked a lot of good shit about him here tonight. Blake Corum is my second nomination for uh, the Game Hall of Fame. I, I, I love it. But also, there's going to be some other guys on this list that so I mean, Blake Corum is probably the best player on this list, but a lot of his, a lot of his uh, spectacular plays in his career did not come in the game, and so he might he might struggle to get in this class. I, I this you know, is true. This is true, and I appreciate the pushback. But if you look at this most recent matchup, Mike, who won it the most for the Wolverines in terms of a player? You know, you look at like the 2021 matchup and like you think of Hutch, right? Like 20 Hassan Haskins. I mean, Hassan had five rushing touchdowns in that game. So, you know, like if not to compare Hassan with Blake, but it's, it's hard not to, you know, I I don't know. Let me get to my, let me get to my next nomination. Cause I would, I would say that the most important guy in last year's game and this year's game was JJ McCarthy. I, I think even though J.J. only threw for one touchdown in this game, uh, he was responsible for four touchdowns in last year's game, uh, even got in and dabbled a little bit in 2021, you know? So I, I feel like, um, and it's, it's hard not to think about that run this year where instead of running out of bounds, he cut up, he cut up field in the middle, and it was just like he, he, he would just had the leadership that we needed to win this game. If you're going to say Sharon Moore called the perfect game, you can almost say JJ McCarthy played the perfect game, not from a statistical standpoint, but just, just everything we needed to win this game took care of the ball. So I'm going to say JJ McCarthy, even ahead of Blake Corum uh, gets a nomination for me. I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, probably. I probably would even agree with you if we're power ranking these guys. I'd probably put J.J. McCarthy right up there in that that area as well. He's on my list, so I think we're in agreement with Cornelius and J.J. Sounds like you're a little on the fence with uh, with Blake so far, but I'll give you my only, next one. Only because we're keeping it to five. You know, the, the fact that we're keeping it to five makes it tough for me because there there's a few other guys that we gotta we gotta mention here. This is true. This is true. I'm gonna go. I'm going Rod Moore. I'm going Rod Ooh. Moore. I think uh, I think the interception gives him everything that I need to put him in an elite tier in terms of where this rivalry stands. I think that he was him and Makari Page were excellent in last year's outing against the Buckeyes uh, on the road. I think they were elite this year. They needed him even more in that fourth quarter. After Will Johnson went down, how does he answer with a game-winning interception? I'm giving my nomination to Rod Moore, Mike. I mean, that's hard to argue with. 
But let me push back a little bit on that too. If we're going to give it to a guy in the secondary, why don't we give it to a guy like Mike Sainer still? Because he made what I would consider the play of the game in the, in the 2022 Michigan-Ohio State game. Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, pass deflection in the end zone was probably the play of the game last year. And then in this game, he stepped up to kind of fill the void with Will Johnson. He had a good game before that. Uh, he had that big hit. I'm with you on Rod Moore. I'm with, I mean, he sealed the deal. I mean, Rod Moore had the, probably the play of the game in this one. So I just, I, I, I don't know who I pick. How do you, uh, how do you compare the two? How, how do you uh, match those two up in terms of which one is more? It, it's hard. Let, let's come back to those. Let's come back to those. So I got a running list. I got a couple more guys that need to be mentioned here. What about Donovan Edwards? Donovan Edwards, you know, he, he had that master class this, uh, you know, last year where, where, I mean, he was the guy. He ran all over him. Those two big plays that just, just blew it wide open. He, he essentially did what Cornelius Johnson did through the air on the ground. You know, he had those two massive plays. And then this year, the numbers, the numbers don't scream at you, but I mean, anybody that's going to get rushing yards, receiving yards, and passing yards in a, in a Michigan-Ohio State game, to me, that's notable, especially because that big pass uh, was such a key play. I think you got to consider Donovan Edwards here. I think you, you might have me there, Mike. And at this point, it almost becomes, you know, which, uh, which do you value more as being legendary to the rivalry? Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards? Well, I will, I will tell you this. Blake Corum did have a, a monster run in the Hassan Haskins game. That five touchdown Hassan Haskins game. So he was on a bum ankle and he had a monster run in that game. I forget how many yards it was, 40 or 50. I mean, it was, he broke free down the field. Um, and then he sat out last year. And then this year, he, I mean, he was the man, but it, statistically, it wasn't too crazy. 84 yards, two touchdowns. But, but, but then you have the, Dono throwing the pass. He threw the pass. I see and, where you're hung he, up, Mike. Well, Dono had like 200 plus yards. So I almost feel like if you, if you look at like the game, Hall of Fame, I actually think Donovan Edwards might have a slight edge here. You know, if you're going to talk Michigan in general, Blake Corum by a mile. But if you're going to talk about the game, I think it might be the Don. I think you might be right, buddy. And, you know, I've been a huge proponent this season of not sleeping on Dono's impact, uh, despite the fact that he might just have 30 or 50 yards on the ground here and there. So... You know, he uh, once again had an an excellent contribution in this year's game, um, you know, contributing in multiple phases. He got the a massive game last year. You know, I think you're right. I think you got to give uh, this year's class to uh, to Donovan. So I'll side with you there on Dono. And then I might also side with you on Mikey Sainer still, I think. The more I think about it, you know, you uh, you have that impact from saying we're still in this year's game right along with Rod Moore. 
So, you know, I just think Mikey's done too much. I don't think you can give it to Rod more at this time if we're only doing five spots. So I'm going to side with you on both of those, buddy. Well, it sounds like we've got four spots handled here. Because, and tell me if I'm wrong. Push back if you got to. It felt like we agreed on Cornelius Johnson, and it felt like we agreed on J.J. McCarthy. Is that right? That's right. And then it looks like we're going to lean Don, Dono here. Um, and then you're conceding Mike Sainer still as well. I've, I, you know, don't, don't, let me, don't let me sway you too much here because I like your picks. Blake Corum and, and uh, Rod Moore are good picks. Might still squeak For, into this fifth nomination. Well, we might decide. Uh, well, let's do this then. I've got a couple more names to add, but before we do that, let's eliminate one of these guys between Rod Moore and Blake Corum. Who do we think is more important to the game out of those two? You know, from a standalone perspective, I'd probably go with Blake Corum uh, just because you've got a lot of dogs in that secondary, not to take away from Rod Moore's importance or his game-sealing interception yesterday. But I think Blake Corum really put that game on his back, put his stamp on a game where really there wasn't a lot of yardage offensively just at all, really from from anybody on that field yesterday, aside from like Marvin Harrison Jr. So uh, I think Blake Corum with the two touchdowns, you know, uh, coming back, scoring the touchdown after Zinter gets injured, as well as just being such a, a pivotal point in this weekend's game, I got to give it to Blake Corum. Okay, so we might have our fifth guy there, but I got to throw a couple more names out there just, just to make sure we're being thorough. What about Colston I've got a couple, Loveland? I've got a couple in mind as well, so let's see. Okay, here. okay. What about Colston Loveland? See, is he Colston on your list? Loveland is on my list, but I also know that we'll have another year to add him to this Hall of Fame. Ah, I like really what you're doing there. Is honestly You're, where my head's going with it, but Colston Loveland definitely deserves to be on here. I mean, you have his performance in last year's matchup, and then this year, uh, 80, 88 yards, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So Colston Loveland is a beast. He's going to be a beast in this rivalry, I think, for at least another year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's definitely okay. on my list, but at the same time, I know we're harvesting a little bit of time for him to still be on there. Yeah, I, I like what you're doing there because he, yeah, he caught the touchdown last year. He was the leading receiver this year. I mean, a, a, just a fantastic player in the game. So he's, he's worth mentioning. Um, and then the last guys that I have here, I mean, Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan. It's, it's hard to not acknowledge the senior leadership. Like, wh why has Michigan been so good these last three years well we we dominated in the trenches Z Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan they they kind of go hand in hand they're almost like a s single idea here if I had to give it to if I had to give it to one it would be Zach Zinter because he literally he gave his fucking leg to the game yesterday you know so uh I don't know do you do you want to What's your input? I, mean, I wanted to add them both to I want them both to be on my list, but 
where I can where I get myself conflicted with uh, these hypothetical lists that you and I create with some of this stuff is that, like you said, they are one entity and they're also offensive linemen. You know what I mean? So when you're making like some of these uh, like uh, lists or power rankings, it's difficult to see yourself throwing multiple offensive linemen on there. But with Michigan, you know, Keegan and Zinter, the O-line in general, is just so important to what these Wolverines do. I think it's it's obvious that they have to at least be mentioned. Um, I don't know if I, I'll put them on my list. Uh, just, I don't know. Just because I don't know if they I see them stacking up with, with Blake. Uh, but... You know, they're right there. They're right there as an honorable mention for me. And they well, are on my list in my mind, kind of. Well, let's, okay, so let's put, let's say between Zinter and Keegan, I think we would both lean Zinter. He's just, I think he's just known as being slightly better. And he's also, I mean, he's fresh on our minds after that injury. How could he not be? So, so Zinter versus, we're, we got one spot left. So Zinter versus Blake Corum. It sounds like you're, you're giving the edge to Blake Corum. I am, Mike. I am. And it, it's, again, it's nothing to diminish Zinter or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I just, I think Blake Corum, he put, that, he put that game on his back yesterday. He won that game for the team. They don't win that game without Blake Corum. Yeah. You, you see Zach Zinter left, and they were able to fill that hole with, another talented offensive lineman in Trent A. Jones. And that's not to take anything away from his impact to the game, but in terms of most impactful per position in the game in general, I think I think I would go Blake. And I think the injury to Zinter kinda kinda only adds to that point a little bit. Okay. Um I we might have our five. You got any other names to throw in there? I don't. I would go Colston Loveland if I went anybody else, but I uh, I wouldn't move him ahead of Blake this year, knowing that Blake would probably slip into the abyss after this year on our the game Hall of Fame rankings. Well, there you have it. The Big House Bleachers podcast, the game Hall of Fame, the 2023 class being inducted is Cornelius Johnson, J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards. Mike Sainra still, and Blake Corum. Congratulations to those guys. I know they've been working their whole life, life to be inducted into this Hall of Fame class that we just made up yesterday or this morning. So congratulations to those guys. Uh, we're not going to move on from the game quite yet, but before we get going on to some other topics, we're excited about this next announcement. Tom Brady and the team at Autograph have just announced have just announced the release of a game-changing new app that recognizes Michigan fans for their acts of fandom. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to all your favorite Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for die-hard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph, rewarding fans, or just click the link in the description and download it for free today. Use code MBREW while creating your profile. That's M-B-R-E-W while creating your profile. Okay, this should be a fun one. We've got a, 
this was this was your you thought up this segment, Matt, and I'm gonna give you a lot of credit here. We're calling this Aha IO. So of course it's not it's not O H I O. It's Aha I O. So it's it's whatever gave us a little chuckle, whatever gave us a a ha ha or aha moment uh, coming out of this last weekend. And so uh, I'll let you do the honors since you brilliantly named this topic. What is your aha IO? Man, this one, it wasn't directly just something that like should have been funny, but you know, everybody in the stadium sensed this and got a good chuckle out of it. Ryan Day not going for it on fourth and one early in the game, close to midfield. His team's got a a good bit of momentum on this drive. You know, it seemed like a, a drive that could have been extended a little bit further. What does Ryan Day do? He punts the ball away back to Michigan. Michigan regains momentum, continues to to continue upon that momentum throughout the entirety of the game. And in that moment, Mike, I just found myself chuckling at how the mighty have fallen, right? Ohio State teams of old, do you think that they would have, you know, not gone for it in this situation? I mean, it just, it was a total scared move by Ryan Day. It's everything that he's been made out to be this entire season. And for that, Mike, I uh, I just had a good laugh. I was definitely, I was definitely aha, I owe at that one. Matt, what is this that I have in my hand here? That's, that's some TP, my friend. That is Charmin soft toilet paper. That's exactly what Ryan Day is. He, I mean, he's Charmin soft. And we, we just knew, we confirmed what we already knew. Um, when he, it was like fourth and half a yard and everybody on, like I, I was there and I was like, oh, he's going for it. Right. Like he's, he's going for it. Like Everyone there's no way knew he was going for it. The stadium there's no was way, ready for him to go for yeah, it. Yeah, There's no way this guy's giving us the ball back uh, in that moment. Um, and he, he didn't even hesitate. He punted. And I, I mean, that's fine. But in a game where Michigan's not going to give you that many possessions, you really got to pick and choose like how, how many times you give the ball back t- to Michigan because you might not see it for six, eight, ten minutes. You know, Michigan really drains the clock. And so um, it felt like he was hesitant, felt like he was scared, felt like he was being charm and soft. So that was definitely an aha IO moment. Um, for me, I'm going to go to post game, uh, something that a lot of the fans are doing. And to me, it's just hilarious. So that game ceiling interception by Rod Moore. There's a lot of screenshots online with big red circles on them uh, floating around. And it's so clearly uh, Rod Moore's elbow touching the ground. And there's all these Ohio State fans that are circling Rod Moore's elbow and saying, ah, the football hit the ground. That interception shouldn't have counted. It's like, I'm sorry, guys, but if you want to complain about the Roman Wilson touchdown, it's like, at least there's a little controversy there. It was a weird play. I, yeah, I could see how you might perceive it a different way. But when it comes to that game ceiling interception by Rod Moore, he kept that thing off the ground. He had both arms underneath the ball. Um, they're just being idiotic. And I can't help but just laugh and chuckle 
a little bit. So that's my aha IO moment. Uh, those idiots that are just circling his elbow like it's a football. In my mind, Mike, it's just sweet redemption for that touchdown that they robbed Roman Wilson of in the playoffs last year, right? Because they totally yeah. robbed him of that touchdown. This one, kind of a similar situation a little bit, if you will, you know? So uh, it, it's just karma being given back uh, to where it's due. So, oh, another thing that had me laughing, Gene Smith on the sideline <laughs> trying to fight helpless little officials <laughs> trying to do their job on the Michigan sideline. You've got the Ohio State athletic director down here ready to throw hands at the Michigan sideline officials. It was uh, it was just the epitome of the last three years, just culminating in the perfect moment of the, the man at the top for the Buckeyes just crumbling like a little child. So that's yeah, just he, another one of the many things that I found myself laughing about lately. He reportedly said, you want me to get the Big Ten involved? It's like, come on, buddy. Threatening like, to sick the Big Ten on him. Yeah, on some, like, it's ridiculous. I mean, we already know he's gotten the Big Ten involved in some other instances. Like, we, we know exactly which uh, ADs and coaches were on that phone call talking to Tony Petiti about this and that earlier in the year. So uh, just a little little taste of his own medicine. Just, uh, you know, you got to follow the rules. Sorry, buddy. You got to follow the rules. I mean, rules are, rules are important to you, aren't they? Get behind the fucking yellow line. Yeah. Get behind the yellow line, Gene Smith. Wouldn't want him <laughs> to steal our signals. <laughs> and one more thing that had me laughing. Uh, the pregame video that looked like a 12-year-old TikTok video of the of the Ohio State players getting ready for the game, right? You got you got Blake Corum's face JJ bleeding. JJ McCarthy would never, yeah. would never. I mean, just, just, and that's the thing is like, and I've seen even a lot of the Ohio State fans are upset about that. They're like, they're like, this is what's wrong. And it's like, it's it's hard to disagree. It's like they, I mean, they they were just. Uh, look at they weren't soft. even dancing good, Mike. They weren't no. even dancing well. I mean, here's the thing. There's a couple guys on the Michigan team that if I saw them dancing before the game, I'd be like, I'd be like, that's acceptable. Like, like Chris Jenkins, for instance. That guy. He I can bet make that guy bust. can fucking dance. First of he all, he could bust a move on the fifty yard line, and he's not gonna look like a little pansy. These guys. I don't know what they were doing. I, I I'm not. You know, it it just felt like some TikTok bullshit and they, and then they went out and they got, they got stomped. And so that had me laughing as well. Well, if you've ever seen any videos of Ryan day dancing, you oh, will no. know where they learned it from. Oh no. That, I tell you what, while we're on the topic, that video of him blowing his whistle, getting hyped with the team before the game. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's, I don't really know what you call that dancing, jumping around, I don't know, but it looks like the man's having a seizure. Yeah, uh, where it looks like he's even like one of those gophers, like at Chuck E. Cheese, that like the head pops out, like of the whole oh, whack a mole. The whack a mole. He's yeah, like, yeah, I like that. He's like, that would be a good. That would be a good. <laughs> we need a a whack a Ryan Day video game. Just a little Ryan yeah. Day head popping out. Okay, we get swanky Wolverine on that. Get swanky on it, swanky. Draft something up for us. Um, okay. 
Anything else? I mean, it was a good day for some laughing. Anything else before we move on? I'm sure we'll get a lot more, Mike. The week is young, my friend. The year is young. We've got another 365 to enjoy a beautiful victory over Ohio State as they cry and shambles and try to come up with excuses and talk about how uh, how bad that they're going to beat us and how none of our victories for the past three years are uh, are validated. Mm-hmm. But well, just, w- just wait till November. Wait till November, Matt. That's what we're going to hear. You j- <laughs> just wait till November. Just wait till November. <laughs> this is their year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. It, it feels good to dominate. So that's three years in a row. Uh, we'll talk in a second about our chances of four-peating because we're already looking ahead. That's what we do. We speculate. But before we do that, let's rank the last three performances. I think it's really interesting to hear the perspective of Michigan fans. You've got uh, 2021, 42 to 27 game. You've got 2022, 45 to 23 game. And then you've got the 2023 uh 30 to 24 game that just happened. And so uh, I'll let you go first. How do you rank these in order of importance, significance? Uh, just it can just be your taste to like, which ones did you like the most? How do you rank them? You know, it's interesting, Mike, because when you, when I think about like the 2021 game, it's probably the most, the least exciting of the three. I think that's a fair statement, I think you'd say, right? You know, uh, it's a snow game, you know, so you don't have like the usual downfield shots and stuff like that. Like it was a very just run heavy, you know, bully ball type football game, influenced by the weather in ways. So very different than the usual football game. But still, just the nostalgia, the... The fact that it had been, you know, a decade since the since Michigan had won, uh, it was just such a special game, you know, in in my heart. I'm sure in the minds of many. So for me, I'm definitely having to go 2021, probably as uh, as my favorite of the three. If I'm having to pick, I'm right there with you. Number one overall, 2021, and. The, the reason I was interested to hear your perspective here is because I've seen some people rank this most recent game, the 2023 game, as the, the best of the three. Actually, there's some polls floating around on Twitter or on X right now, and there's a lot, a lot of votes. And I think that's just recency bias, maybe, because to me, that 2021 victory over Ohio State, Aiden Hutchinson's three sacks, the Ojabo sack. You got Hassan Haskins, five touchdowns. You've got um, Cade McNamara leading the team. You've got the snow falling. You got the uh, Hassan Haskins picture where he's just looking like the Messiah floating over uh, the Ohio State players. The, the release of a really two decades of emotions, right? Because we got that one win in 2011, but it was really two decades of domination and that whole game every single play if you're a real Michigan fan watching that 2021 game you're just hanging on by a thread because you you don't believe that it's possible you know like like something something in in you is just like this is not possible we're going to lose after the JT was short game and all this stuff it's like 
You're just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And then finally, Hassan Haskins breaks that run and he hurdles the Ohio State defender. And you, that was kind of that moment where you're like, oh my God, like we're going to do this, you know? And so I'm getting chills just thinking about it. So to me, that was hands down the best football game watching experience of my life. Um, I know you, you were there. Have, you really couldn't sum it up any better than that, honestly, because the whole vibe in the stadium was just like, like total disbelief that the game was even going to come to an end in that fashion. You know what I mean? Michigan was up. I know myself, like I was constantly looking at the clock, like, like all of it added up to that. Like Michigan was going to walk away with the W, but just being, having gone through what you went through for the past several years, you just still didn't believe it. So I just don't know if there will ever be like a feeling of like joy or anticipation that I ever experienced, like, like just waiting for so many years for Michigan to walk away with a W and then it finally happening in that situation in a year where nobody expected that it would. Cause let's face it, like these last couple years, people expected Michigan to be great, right? It wasn't like in 2021 when they were coming off of a shit season the year before and uh, and everyone was just kind of like, eh, you know, so I think it was just way more unprecedented. Um, I think that it was just a lot, just more release of pent up aggression. And uh, I just think that there's no mimicking uh, what what Wolverines, what Wolverine fans felt in that time. And, you know, I'll sum it up with, with this statement. And this is going to sound like the lamest thing in the world to people that are not diehard Michigan fans. But if you're a diehard Michigan fan, you're going to feel this on a deep level. That 2021 game literally changed my life. You know what I mean? And I, I don't feel that way about a lot of e- events that happen. But, like, that game literally <laughs> changed my life. And, and so... To me, that, that is a spectacular moment that has to be number one. I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. And so, and even, I think I'll take it a step further, Mike. Like, I think Michigan could win the Natty this year. And I don't know if there will ever be a feeling that's as, like, even still, if, I are, if we experience that, I don't know if that feeling will be the same as what I felt in 2021. And that's not to say that I'm, I won't feel good, motherfucking good, I'm saying, if <laughs> win the natty, right? I'm just saying that that feeling in itself after winning that game in 2021, it just kind of, I feel like, holds a special place in, uh, in the minds of most of the Michigan faithful. Man, I, I agree with you. I don't know, though. I think winning that natty might, might top it. it. But it's almost like a like an extension of the same team, you know, like what, what we've witnessed over these last three years. It's like if, if Michigan wins the national championship this year, Hassan Haskins and David Ojabo and, and uh, even Cade McNamara, they all Hutchinson, win the daddy. They all win it, man. Like in, even guys like Olu that came in last year and just played a P like it. it I've never experienced uh, a buildup from year to year where I feel like, okay, this is, this is just chapter three in the same story, you know? And it, it just feels that way. And so 
it, it'll be interesting if if that natty comes around if if it does compare to you know to the game in 2021 so that's well, our number one it. i've said it on multiple occasions like it feels like a trilogy right like almost yeah. like a star wars trilogy in some ways like you've got the uh the essence of Michigan when they were like the young apprentice, you know, kind of realizing a little bit of their potential in 2021. And then second year Michigan where they're like uh, about to go handle business only to like get chopped down thinking that they're not the hot shit that they thought they were by TCU. And now here they are. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Man, let's go. You know what I mean? Let's go. I hope that uh that they that they fucking win this one, man. We'll see what uh what the Big 10 championship has in store, but I get goosebumps just talking about it, man. You are right though. It just they all kind of have this collective togetherness about them the last 3 years in a weird way. So We'll just see where it all goes, buddy. It's been crazy to cover the team through it all. I know that. Well, you talk about the trilogy, and that brings up the next question, which is there's going to be a game next year. It's in Columbus. Uh, Michigan is potentially going to break the record for the most NFL players drafted uh, in a single year by a college. It's very realistic looking at the roster that that could happen. Uh, J.J. McCarthy is probably not coming back. I mean, that, that would be kind of miraculous if he did. So the question becomes, let's do another kind of scale here, one to 10, one being least confident, 10 being most confident. What is your confidence level of Michigan four-peating, winning next year in Columbus? I feel good, Mike. I feel better than I probably thought that I would towards the beginning of the season i'll say that and uh, i don't really know what the reason for that is because michigan is losing a shitload of talent next year but i feel optimistic about the presence of key linchpins such as will johnson colston loveland mason graham kenneth grant kenneth grant Uh, Those are some big, big names, you know, so I don't think that those guys are going to let this team go to shit. Those are some all time caliber Michigan Wolverines right there. So I I know it kind of seems like we're in some dire straits going into uh, next year, but I really wouldn't be too worried about it. And I put my confidence level at I'm going to go 51 percent Michigan I'm going to give Michigan the edge uh just barely just because you know there's a little bit of skepticism there just because Ohio State may be due for one by that time you know I don't know how they're supposed to be looking next year either I assume they're not going to turn over as much talent as Michigan but I'm still going to give the slight edge to Michigan just because they've got the returning the returning guys that are really good They've got the momentum and the rivalry. It's in Ohio State, but like you've got these playmakers. So I think that uh, that Michigan still, kind of like we've been doing with Georgia all season long, they deserve to be given the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. So we'll see. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's like we're playing with house money now. You get a little bit more free. It's kind, kind of how Ohio State faced some really good Michigan teams, like the uh, 2016 Michigan team, 2018 Michigan team. And, but they were just kind of playing with house money at that point. They had won so many games in a row. They started to go in and just believe, like, hey, we're going to win this thing. It feels like Michigan has, is at that point now where no matter who we put on the field, we just kind of believe, like, hey, Ohio State's not unbeatable. We're going to go beat them. So I'm putting it at a, a 6 out of 10, but I, I, I would agree 51% if I was going to say, because, because my thinking here is like a step up from right in the middle. And the, re, the reason why I'm not at like 100% or 9 out of 10 or anything like that is because you got to be realistic. We're, we're losing a lot of players, including our quarterback, most likely. We're playing in Columbus, which is, you know, that's tough. Ohio State, once again, bringing in a great recruiting class. Michigan, once again, bringing in a good recruiting class, but not great. Um, so the question becomes, can, can the culture of Michigan continue to build up? You know, are guys like Benjamin Hall going to be like groomed into these Michigan men? And I think the answer is yes. And then the one, the one thing that I think helps us is the transfer portal. Michigan now is a destination. You know, if, if, if you're an offensive lineman and you want to go to one place in the country, it's Michigan. If you're a running back, you want to go to one place in the country, it's Michigan. If Jaden Davis isn't quite ready, I wouldn't be surprised if we went out and got the top quarterback transfer in the country. I mean, that's possible. So there's a lot that can happen. Um, Harbaugh could get suspended for the entire year. Michigan could lose scholarships based on this investigation. We don't really know. But when it's all said and done, uh, when we roll into Columbus next year, I think the odds are in our favor, just based on where we stand right now. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I think that, you know, time will tell. I think there's a lot of guys on this Michigan team that a lot of people just haven't had the opportunity to really see what they can fully do yet, just because... This team is so deep, you know, and we've seen a lot of those guys uh, shine in like garbage minutes and stuff like that. But really, we don't know what those, some of those guys are made of. You know what I mean? So I think next year after a lot of these these older players uh, have moved on to the NFL and stuff, we're going to see really what we have in the tank, which we haven't really been able to do up to this point. So I'm interested for that. Interested to see uh, if anybody that we're not expecting to stays behind from the draft. Yeah. But, uh, we'll see. Donovan but. Edwards, maybe I, you know, like he, he hadn't, he hadn't helped his draft stock a whole lot this year. So you've got some interesting candidates for a one more year fund. You know, we'll see, we'll see if anything like that happens, but uh, speaking of the future, uh, let's actually, before we get into the near future, which is the college football playoff, Big Ten championship landscape, uh, luckily Michigan's playing football again this week. And that's the, one of the best things about this whole win is more football. Um, but let's do a, a little throwback to a, a segment that we like to call Pump the Brakes. And Pump the Brakes is an opportunity for each of us to give a spicy take. If the other one disagrees with it, we'll say Pump the Brakes and you'll hear... Or if we agree with the take, we'll just say, keep driving. So I'll let you do the honors. Uh, what is your pump the brakes? 
Well, I'm going to go with this take, Mike, and I put it in my notes uh, a day or two ago when I uh, saw your position about it on Twitter. I don't know how spicy it is uh, necessarily anymore, but, you know, a lot's been made uh, specifically by Ohio State fans about potentially another backdoor into the college football playoff. Obviously, there's a lot of favoritism for uh, for Buckeye Nation out there. A lot of people high on the Buckeyes. So in the event that we see some potential chaos uh, this week, Mike, I'm going to say that there is no shot in absolute hell that Ohio State backs their way into the playoff again this year. I'm going to say keep driving on that one. As much as I know the committee wants to squeeze them in there, and I, I even I made the comment before the game, I think that's what you're referring to. I said, yeah, if Ohio State loses, they're going to they're gonna try to find a way to get them in there. It's still possible, but the more I look at this, I mean, the winner of Oregon and Washington is in, period. Whoever wins that game is in. They're not going to put a one-loss Ohio State team over an undefeated Washington Pac-12 champ or even a one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champ. So they're in. The winner of Georgia and Alabama, in. And I would go as far as to say if Alabama beats Georgia, they're both in, most likely. Because you think a one-loss Georgia where their only loss is to Bama is going to fall out? So so then then you start to look at the winner of Georgia-Bama is in. Let's say Georgia wins. Just to give the Buckeyes a chance. Let's say Georgia wins. Then you got the winner of Washington and Oregon. So that's two spots taken. Then you've got Michigan. Even if Michigan lost to Iowa, you couldn't put Ohio State in over Michigan, right? Because you couldn't... There, there's no logic where you could put a one-loss Michigan against a one-loss Ohio State and say Ohio State gets the edge there. There's just no logic. Um, there is a scenario that exists, by the way, and I, it's, it's terrifying that if somehow Michigan lost to Iowa, if every, all the other games worked out in a certain way, there is a way Michigan would get left out, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Ohio State jumping them. So, so now you've got uh, Georgia, Michigan, winner of Washington, Oregon, in for sure. So then how, do, how does Ohio State get in? Well, Florida State would have to lose to Louisville because I don't think they're going to put a one-loss non-conference champion above Florida State, even with the injury to Jordan Travis. I don't see that happening. So Florida State would and have to lose. they terrible against Florida also. Yeah, they could lose to Louisville. They could. But the thing that's, I mean, I'd be very surprised to see is Texas losing to Oklahoma State. And so... If Texas loses to Oklahoma State, Florida State loses to Louisville, and Bama loses to Georgia, I mean, I guess that's the recipe, right? I guess that's the recipe. The uh, Buckeyes get in at that point. <laughs> As, uh, I mean, that might be the that might be the recipe. I don't know. I at that point, I even think there's still even a better shot at two SEC teams getting in. Well, r- well, right, but not if, not if Georgia beats Bama because then Bama is a, 
a two-loss team. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, okay. but, but here's the thing, though, because so on a similar note, Ohio State would also need Washington to beat Oregon. Because if Oregon beats Washington, then th- those are both one-loss teams, and Washington could still get in over Ohio State. But th- that's where I think the committee would fuck up. Right there. I think they would put a one-loss Ohio State above a one-loss Washington, even though Washington, you know, would deserve to be in over Ohio State because they would have beaten Oregon earlier in the year. They played in a conference championship game, which Ohio State didn't. I think that's where things get dicey is if, if all of those things happen, then I, I guess Ohio State could get in, but... Um, I mean, Oklahoma State is a bad football team. So, I, like, I don't, I don't know. If Texas loses to Oklahoma State, then, then all bets are off. Anything could happen. Yeah. Right now they're projected to join me down here in Florida at uh, the Orange Bowl. So <laughs> not looking good for them uh, by the experts' predictions at this point. And so... I'm glad we're talking about this because I'm going to give you my pump the brakes. It's in the same category. And this basically knocks out our, our whole around college football segment because this is all that matters is the playoffs now. Um, I just have a feeling that the committee is going to leave out an undefeated Florida State team. I'm going to keep driving with you on that one too, Mike. I think, uh, I think, you know, I hate the idea of doing something like that because you never know what kind of potential a team can play to against any particular opponent on any given Saturday. But I think that they just didn't do themselves any favors with the performance that they turned in on uh, Saturday night against uh, in Gainesville against the Gators. I think that was kind of their opportunity, you know, to take a stranglehold on uh, on the committee and say, like, listen, we're good and we're going to kick the shit out of any football team. But instead, they uh, they took it down to the wire against a four and five <laughs> Gators team. So, uh, you know, I don't have too much hope for them in the eyes of com- eyes of the committee after that. And, uh, you know, if they can pull out a win against Louisville. I think it'll be a close one, and I just still don't think that that's going to be enough for them to get in over, like we've already discussed, an Ohio State or, you know what I mean, or even a Texas. I just think that, uh, I think that it's just not not good uh, situation for them. This is the craziest year we've ever seen because you've got Texas that beat Bama at their house, but there there might be a scenario where a one a one-loss Bama gets in over a one-loss Texas, which that doesn't seem right because there's, you know, there, there's a lot going on. I, I think what we could end up seeing is if Bama beats Georgia, you might see Michigan, Georgia, Bama, and Texas all in there. And then, then you've got, well, no, because if Washington, let me put it this so way, because when we're so talking much. about Texas, when we're talking about Washington, when we're talking about Oregon, all of those guys have a way of shitting the bed somehow at this time of year in recent memory. So 
I think anything's possible, but I mean, in terms of Florida State, I think that uh, they're gonna get get uh, UCF'd, you know, when uh, when that UCF quarterback went down and at the last week of the season, and it's you know, so messed they, up. Yeah, yeah, they just got totally it, pushed to the side. I think that's what's gonna happen with FSU. Obviously, they're not on the same scale as UCF, but. Same concept, I think. Without their uh, their quarterback, without Jordan Travis, I think the committee sees them as a, a non-factor this year. Well, we're gonna find out. A lot of football to play, and the most important thing for Michigan Nation is go get that Big Ten championship. Go beat the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa has got to be the weirdest team in the history of college football. I mean, just one of the best defenses you can imagine. And one of the worst offenses. I, I, you know, every, every week they have a new record low over under in their game, and they always hit the under. I, I'm not too worried because, I mean, they're in barn burners with like Nebraska. Nebraska is a team that Michigan handled. Uh, Penn State beat the shit out of Iowa, and M- Michigan showed that they were a better team than Penn State. And so I think, I think that we're, we're going to be able to control the game and move the ball on this Iowa team. I, I think that their highly ranked defense is more a product of how crummy the Big Ten West is just as a whole. But there's something to be said about the fact that uh, that Iowa defense is really good. So, we, we, you know, you don't want to do anything like turn the ball over or do anything crazy like that. But uh, Michigan is a 23-point favorite, which is an ungodly number for a, a championship game. And so I don't know that, I don't know if there's anything else to say other than I wish Cade McNamara and Eric all were playing in this one. Cause that would make uh, quite a story. Well, I mean, these Kirk Ferentz led teams, right? They're like a fine wine. They just continue <laughs> to get better throughout the course of the season, no matter how abysmal their situation looks, no matter how bad they look at the start of the season, you can look at an Iowa team and say, this team is going to take it all the way and win the Big Ten West crown and compete for a Big Ten championship, and that's exactly what they're doing this year. I, If you ask me how it happened, I honestly don't know. This Hawkeye team is riddled with injuries. They are abysmal on offense. Their leading receiver is Eric All, who hasn't seen the field since mid-October. So. <laughs> All indications point to this being a game that Michigan should win easily. But that being said, it's Iowa. So what we're going to probably see is either 2021 Michigan Big Ten Championship Iowa or some Iowa that just comes out of nowhere that's going to give Michigan all they can for three or four quarters. So. Uh, I think that ultimately the injuries kind of kind of uh, give way for the Hawkeyes. I don't think that uh, that the horses they got in the stable are going to be able to compete with a lot of these playmakers that that Michigan has. I think it's going to be another defensive showcase for a good portion of the game, but I just don't think that uh, that Iowa will have the necessary. Uh, the necessary players and and things to kind of overcome Michigan. So I could be wrong, but I think what we'll see is kind of another replica of what we saw in 2021. I just don't know how they're going to move the ball and get points 
honestly. It's hard to, you know, knock on wood. I don't want to jinx us or anything, but it's just hard to imagine a scenario where they can get up and down the field. So, all right, we'll be tuning into that one. Hopefully, uh, Petiti is handing Harbaugh a Big Ten championship trophy at the end of that game. The irony and justice of that situation would be magnificent. That does it for this episode. 12-0 Michigan Wolverines heading to Indianapolis to hopefully become 13-0 Big Ten champs next year or next week. And then, uh, of course, the college football playoff after that. I'm Michael Smeltzer. That is Matt Hartwell. And as always, go blue. Go blue.